Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. Cast, cast. cast. My name is Elena Newell. Whoa, my name is Elena Newell. (laughs) (laughs) And my name is Abigail Brazier. special episode for you all we are talking to a powerhouse a strong black woman a director an iconic woman who are we talking to gail we're talking about rootin tootin boss ass bitch tiffany nicole green yes she is She's just so a wonderful great. human um if you mm-hmm. she is this awesome director based in new york most recently she uh has been the resident director of the philip tour of hamilton as well as directing all over the country at top regional theaters, at colleges, all over. You can see her work. Oh, yes. She's a self-described explorer, excavator, sculptor, bone collector. And we get to the bottom of what made her choose directing and how she she uses her passion and her craft to make positive difference in the landscape of our industry. You know what made her choose to be a director? She was actually an actor first, which you will hear about very, very shortly, but she is just, Oh my God. She's it's, it was just wonderful. Absolutely immaculate. How, how is she leveling the playing field in the audition space? How does she look at a story and tell stories through her, very unique very beautiful very wise lens and oh god it's just i just can't wait for the people to hear this yeah it's really great it's also she also just uh reinforces the fact that no path is linear no one there's no one straight way to get to um your dreams there's no one direct path to get to where you want to be you'll find a lot of turns but as long as you trust yourself and know that what you're doing is right then you'll find out where you need to be and I think she is super great, and I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Yes! Enjoy! Hello! We are back with Miss Tiffany Nicole Green. Yes, ma'am. Yes, we are. Director extraordinaire. Tiffany, how are you today? (laughs) Hey, um, I'm great. You know, as good as can be expected during these times, as well as can be expected, for sure. Well, that's great to hear. <laughs> we love being as, as good as we can be. Right. That's that's the goal these days. Just like yeah. uh, yes. trying to make it. Things are hectic, mm-hmm. frantic, crazy, but things are still happening, which is awesome. So, yes. Yes. yes so and they're still good. Yes. <laughs> Tiffany is a director. Tiffany, how did you fall into directing? How did you discover it as a career path? And what really made you like jump into it? Yeah. So um, when I was, uh, I was in, an, I had this acting internship at uh, the Hangar Theater in Ithaca. And we mm. did this 24 hour play festival thing. And I was chosen to be a director. And I hated it. I just fully hated it. And I left that experience thinking, I'm so glad that someone loves to do this so I don't have to. Like, that was my total outlook on directing. 
And so then when I went to graduate school, I went to Brown University, Trinity Rip. And when I went to grad school, one of the reasons I chose that program is because they require first years to take a directing course. And I was like, well, this will be a good experience for me. Like, it'll give me a chance to understand better what directors do and um, get over this fear. Like, my whole goal was to just get over this fear. And so it's funny, I took the class and I was like, oh my God, this is what I love. <laughs> this is what I really want to do <laughs> with my life. And so I sort of kept that to myself um, since I was in my first year of uh, actor training. And, um, and then the head of the program then, Laura Kepley, who's now at Cleveland Playhouse, she came up to me and she was like, you're a director, you need to be directing. And I thought, oh my God, like, I sort of think so too. So she was very supportive of me while I was there. And then other faculty members started to see the work that I was doing. And it, it basically while I was there, they were, they started to allow me to opt out of um, acting projects once in a while to direct. Mm. So there were two full productions I directed as an MFA student in the acting program, which was awesome. <laughs> and, um, and so then when I got out of school and got to New York, I had no idea how to get a directing job because I hadn't actually taken all those classes. I, I, I knew that I loved it. I knew I had a knack mm. for it and I learned a lot, but I didn't learn the business of it at all. Um, and so I went back to acting. I thought I was going to do both, but I was mm. um, primarily acting because I didn't know how to do the other. Um, and then I started to run into other actors who were multidisciplined. And so I did a play with this guy who had written a play that was going to be in the New, the New York, um, the Fringe Festival. Mm -hmm. And he came up to me and he was like, I think you'd be perfect for this role in this play that I wrote, give it a read. And so I did, and I came back to him and I said, I want to direct this. And he was like, no, I actually have a director. I want <laughs> you to be in it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, no, I really want to direct it. And so... Uh, at the time, he told me he had a director, and then a couple of days later, he's like, I want to talk to you about what you said the other day, and then I sort of, like, pitched myself, and then he ended up switching to me, and that was the yeah. very first thing I directed, and from that point forward, it was just, like, word of mouth. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing how, how small this community can be when you really think about it. You think... I. I'm realizing more and more as I get older and start to pursue my professional career in this field that when people say, oh, it's all about who you know, it's all about networking, it's not because like, oh, you would have to know a specific person to get a specific job in a specific show or anything like that. It's because the community is so tightly knit and woven that you end up running into people you know all the time and just like the way you're connected with people becomes so... You know what I'm saying? It's, it really is such a small world, but that's amazing. Self-advocacy is everything. It's everything. And you build your network of collaborators, right? Like you're always, mm. for me, I think for some people it, it is true. Like people go and rub elbows and they drink cocktails with people and do whatever else they do with people and they <laughs> end up working together. But for me, that was never my thing. I was like, oh, I'm going to build collaborators. Who do I love to work with? Who do I love to be in a room with? And who loves to be in a room with me? Um, that goes both ways. And yes. so- for me, when I think about it, it's all about like who you know, it's about like who's willing to build this thing with you, not mm -hmm. necessarily just give you a handout and, and a lift up, right? You can help each other rise. Yeah, that's so amazing. You know, speaking of, of helping other people rise, you are a black female director, an amazing woman. You seem like such a cool gal. I want to be your friend, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, Thank um, you. 
So being a black woman and directing in this space, um, what challenges do you think you faced in that role of, you know, finding your space as a director in this industry? And how do you help uplift and empower other people and diverse voices? Yeah, um, that's there's so much to that. I I find it to be, uh, you know, I've I've developed a thick skin. There have been a couple of moments that have made me like want to go in a corner and cry, you know, like towards the beginning. Um, but mm -hmm. I quickly developed a thick skin and then I just started fighting for the things that I want. Um, I, I continue to walk into um, rehearsal rooms and people see me for the first time and, you know, like the local uh, whatever department of the theater, they're seeing me for the first time and you know, I can feel that they think, oh, this is who's leading us. I'm going to have to help her. You know, there's that mm -hmm. feeling at first. And I've just gotten to the point where it just makes me laugh because <laughs> they will spin, they can just spin their wheels all they want. At the end of the day, I am the director. I'm a collaborator and right. I have a collaborative spirit, but I also know who's in charge and it's me. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> um, yes. I, I, I have to live in both of those places because um I will get run over sometimes if I allow that to be the case. Um, but I think I've gotten good at saying this is a collaborative process. I do have the final say, but I would love to hear what you have to say because you are going to make me better. I'm going to make you better. But what we're not going to do is run me over, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So yes, um, there's, and I'm, I know that I'm younger than I, I look younger than I actually am. Um, I know that takes, you know, a part, that's a part of it. Uh, but also being a black woman and I'm, uh, you know, I had a friend once who said, well, maybe the first day of rehearsal, you should just like dress up or like dress a certain way. And I said, absolutely not. White men walk into these rehearsal rooms with torn up blue jeans and stained white t-shirts and they get all the respect in the world. I'm going to wear exactly what the hell I want. You know, like I'm not doing that. If I feel like yes. being fancy, I'm going to be fancy. If I know that I want to go to the gym after rehearsal and everyone else is dressing that way, I shall do so as well. So I don't take yes. on, that's extra work for me at the end of the day. That's work and energy mm -hmm. that I should be applying to my craft, right? And fighting for the acceptance of the people in the room when I already have the power is a waste of my time. So I don't, um, I don't engage in fighting those stereotypes through uh, some sort of superficial means. I, sh I show it in my work. And, you know, people have actually, it's funny, I've had people who work as you know, designers or things like that, working with me, who come to me at the end of a process, it's happened multiple times where they say, you know, I really doubted you at first, but your vision is just really beautiful. Or, you know, I just didn't think it would work, but like everything you did, da da da. And we had never discussed the, the former, right? Opinion mm -hmm. that they had of me, but it was mm -hmm. so palpable and so obvious in the room mm -hmm. that I'm guessing they, and I appreciate that they felt the need to address it once I had won their approval, mm -hmm. you know? It was like, oh, mm -hmm. you are good at your job. I'm like, yeah, thank you. That's why I was hired. Yes. <laughs> and I work really hard. Uh, <laughs> and so I have learned to sort of find the humor in that and to, uh, I find it deeply satisfying, you know? So mm. I just sort of let that be. I just let it be and let people have their experience. And as long as you stay out of my way so I can do my job, like we are good. So. Um, and then in terms of uplifting others, that has been there. I, I, I think that my focus is really on actors 
when I, in terms of the ways in which I do that. Now, the ways in which I mentor others, I do try to reach out to um, women of color specifically. Um, but I actually just reach out to women in general uh, when it comes to being a mentor, because it's hard for women in general in this field, um, further complicated by being a person, a black person or a person of color. And so uh, as my, I have a good friend who, who talks about the ecosystem of oppression. And I use that term all the time now because I think it's so perfect um, that all POC are not created equal either, you know? <laughs> so there is an yeah. ecosystem and we are at the bottom. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think that it does vary depending on, on your ethnicity and what stereotypes come with that. So in terms of, um, because I was an actor and I guess I still am, I really try to make sure that I am evening the playing field in an audition space, right? When they come in the room and they see a black person behind that table, that's something that they're not used to. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I try to create an environment for them that feels different, that gives them some sort of, um, that levels the playing field. Um, and then, you know, in casting and in working with actors, I just, in general, actors sometimes don't get the respect that they deserve. And so, um, especially with people of color, I really am aware of like the tokenizing of people of color. And it goes both ways in my casting, actually. Um, there are times when I cannot pick a person of color because of the storyline, or I can't pick a black woman because of the storyline. And I'm not willing to sacrifice or attach race to something that's already extremely problematic. Um, in, this, in the plot or in the storyline. I don't want this Black woman or this Black man or this Latinx person to take on the burdens that are already embedded in the character. Um, and so that's tricky sometimes because I want to give them a job and they right. may be great, but I don't want the audience to leave being like, that's what, that's what Black people do. You know what I mean? Right. So I have to be aware of it in both uh, ways and on both sides. And so um, it's tricky. But it is always, always, always um, at the forefront of my mind. And I think that I make space for others by simply being. You know, my presence alone is an experience that I hope will lead to um, opening someone's mind that I've worked with. And they'll be open to the next Black person or the next person of color because of the experience they've had with me. So I do take that on personally in, in terms of like the way that I work with people. I yes. want to leave them with that good experience, not a catering experience, but a good, this is my equal, we worked well together experience. And that hopefully will open up their minds to, you know, hiring more people of color. Yes. So when you're um, working on specific shows, whether it's a show um, that is directly tied to race or something like that, or it just happens to have like a diverse cast, um, do you how do you prepare for certain uh, jobs like that when you're specifically going into shows where you know race is going to be discussed? How do you uh, prepare your creative team and your actors for that, for those kind of conversations so that it's very three-dimensional? Yeah, I remain honest, always. I want to talk about the issues. It's my, what I love about theater is it exposes, well, the theater that I'm interested in exposes our flaws. It exposes humanity and our fears and the ways in which those fears um, lead us down these paths that are that are not in line, not in line with who we want to be, right? In our best selves. Uh, we destroy the people we are closest to. Um, our reactions 
based in fear can sometimes become violent. Um, and not fear of the other person, but fear of, of what you may lose, right? Mm. Like, I don't believe in that fear of another person do, because of race. I feel like we say we want equality, but we are actually afraid of what we'll lose mm. in, the, um, in the pursuit of equality. Someone's got to be knocked down right. a peg. So um, I, I, when it comes to working on that subject matter inside of, the, inside of a play, I, from the very beginning, um, am very transparent. I'm very honest. I don't sugarcoat. Um, I try to be very respectful and read the room at all times, looking to see like where people are. Uh, but I think that we, I mean, my, I think my website said something about me. I like, I excavate. I'm a bone collector. I'm like, let's unearth the thing. Let's talk about it. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if I'm looking to change people through my work, which I am, then I have to expose those insecurities, those vulnerabilities, those imperfections, because we recognize, I think that audience recognizes themselves in a character's flaws, not in a character's perfections. Mm. We are off put by perfection actually, because we know right. that we could never live up to that in our real lives. So when we watch theater, we actually connect with people um, on stage by connecting with the ways in which they are either imperfect or going through a troubling circumstance. That's mm -hmm. like what tugs at the soul and the heartstrings because we can feel that. Um, right. We resist Barbie doll perfection. Yeah, that makes us feel less than. And so I think that, you know, it, it's also in my casting, I'm equally interested in your mental health and I'm equally interested in your openness to discuss these topics. Mm -hmm. um, that's just as important as the talent itself and the ability to play the role. Because if we can't have the discussion, then I'll never be able to access your talent. So I, right. I mm. can't have, I can't just have a talented person who doesn't want to talk about it um, mm. or who's going to be defensive the whole time in the room or angry in the room or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm. Um, and I've, I've worked on several plays where things got sensitive and, you know, they're racially charged. There's racially charged material. And mm. the only way through it is to just continue to speak honestly about what's going on. And um, whenever I feel like people are getting overwhelmed by the uh, conversation, I stick to the play, mm. right? Like, actually, I don't have to prove to you that this is real life. I don't have to prove to you that this happens in real life. I don't have to prove to you that this is never something she would actually do because it's already on the page. And so it is something she would do because it's right here. Right. And so we're working inside of this mm. world that has already been written inside of this script and, and, and how do we mine this world? And so sometimes that's a distancing effect that is helpful. Mm -hmm. Like we can all pretend like this would never happen in real life, but in this play, it's happening. So let's deal with right. it, you know? Um, and it sort of allows people that separation, which is, it's, it's necessary sometimes because, you know, if there's a play about a white person doing something that is really ugly, I think it's hard for the person playing that role to live in that space for eight hours in a rehearsal room, you know? Right. Yes. White people do have a tendency to be fragile. Yes. You know? Yes. I run, <laughs> I've run into that in the room several times and I do get it, but it's also the work, right? It's like, right. yes. So, um, yeah, when all else fails, we just do not talk about the world. We talk about the world of the play. Yes. That way no one has to defend anything. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Wow. 
Mm, let's just let that yeah. sing in. I love what you were saying, like this distancing <laughs> strategy. And that's really what it's all about. We are committing to this field in which we get to transport ourselves to other worlds. And that is a great, like that degree of separation is like, I'm kind of, it's, it's, I love that. I love what you were saying about that. I love, you know, the fact that we are drawn to the flaws and the difficult journeys that these characters are going on um, and not how great they are. Like that is so, what a, what a truth bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that, yeah, I just fully believe that that's, like, that's where the heart is, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I think that in terms of separating, no one actually leaves the room feeling like, feeling that separation. The separation lets them off the hook in the room, but they will come Mm -hmm. to their own terms in their own time, right? And I'm not there to help them get there. I'm here to do, I'm here to do the play. (laughs) But, um, but I, but I do think that it lingers no matter what I say, or no matter what we're discussing, they, you have no choice, but to connect it to real life, right? Like that's what we're always doing as artists, reflections of life and, and responses to life. And so, yeah. Yes. Okay. Love that. Let's yes. shift for a second and talk yep. about, again, the industry. So you, um, Our Lady, you, you are a member of the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society. And we did a little bit of digging and we found that in 2015, they made this statement about diversity and inclusion. You know, um, just some of the things that they talk about are including respect and creating spaces for professionals who are directors and choreographers and supporting their members of color who maybe have a difficult situation. They face racism, discrimination, bias in the in the room with their with their coworkers and everything like that. So we would love to know. Do you feel that the, and this statement, let's add that this statement was made in 2015. Yeah. That's five years ago so do you think in that time that the stc has upheld their statement in commitment to protecting and supporting all their diverse voices you know my answer may be disappointing because i actually don't know i don't have any proof that they have not upheld their promises and their commitments i have not had a personal experience with that And so I also have not gone to them to ask them to help me fight some sort of battle that was directly connected to race. Um, It honestly never occurred to me to do that, Uh, which is saying something, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. about my, our level of um, interaction. So Mm -hmm. while I am a member, I oftentimes, not race related, have lots of, I have lots of issues with the lack of um, connection, I feel, to the union in terms of being able to go to them for help. Now, the pandemic has taught me that they are there. It feels a little passive. But if I do Mm -hmm. call them and I do want to speak with them about anything, they are there and they do have information and they are helpful. But do I, have I ever been like reached out to as a member of color? No. Um, have I ever been made aware of any particular source that exists for me or anything like that? No, maybe it's buried in a newsletter somewhere and I didn't read it, you know? So, um, I do, I, I will say that it is a two way, a two way street. Um, 
and I don't tend to reach out to them much, but I also was not even aware of that statement um, before you made me aware of it. So it it's not surprising to me. And I'm sure that they're, like I said, I'm sure they're there when people go to them and specifically ask them for specific things. But I don't know that that, I have not ever observed that to be like a main focus, put it uh, that way. Do you think now knowing that there is that statement on diversity and inclusion that you would enjoy, like, is that something that you want from your, un like your workers union essentially yes. support in this kind of environment and situation? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I still have questions about how the union actually um, helps me get work. Um, now, when I, they do standardize contracts, um, just like equity does, um, you know, equity helps its members get work by preventing others from auditioning for the work. Like there are equity only mm -hmm. auditions that doesn't exist for directors. And so mm -hmm. I don't have to be a part of the union at all to direct anything. Um, I don't think that they have that sort of partnership. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's knowing that it would be good to speak with them and reach out to them. And, um, and it, it's like, once you're a part of the union, they do help you in many ways mm -hmm. if you go to them, but I don't know that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, I would be surprised to hear that they're like out there trying to get people of color jobs specifically because I've never, I don't know of them trying to get people jobs, period. <laughs> so maybe it's just me. That's period. so interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting because in this world, we everybody knows actors' equity. If you're in the world of theater, you're like, oh, equity. We know what that is. It's a workers' union that, you know, they make it their mission to help the people in their union get work and keep work and sign contracts and all this stuff. So it's so interesting to hear this other side of the story you know everybody who works on a production is deserving of of advocacy and union unionizing and everything like that so that's so that's so interesting as far as i know i don't think theaters i could be wrong i don't think theaters have to offer you an sdc contract at all um now i can say i'm sdc i need a contract what if you've offered me just some if you've offered me 20,000 to direct this big production and you're not offering me SDC I can I can help you get there by saying I will take less I will take 20,000 total but you can actually pay me less and put the difference into my health insurance or whatever fees that would go to SDC like I could convince them that way by saying it won't cost you any more money but that's my work not the union's work you know what I mean so, right. and most people do offer SDC right. contracts. I would love to make a quick note that of, on their website of the 12 people that they have on staff for the union, 12 people, one, one human of their staff is a person of color. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk about, and I'm not talking about them. I mean, in general, um, there's so much talk about diversity and so much talk about wanting and promoting that 
But um, when it comes to positions of power, we're still not present. It, you know, right. offering me a lower position is not is I know that comes with a paycheck, but it's ultimately not benefiting my people long term. I need a position of power so that when the next right. person who doesn't know if they want to be a director walks into a room and they see someone black directing versus someone black like checking you in at the door, right? Like they now know that that's a possibility right. for them. Like it just registers in your mind and you all of a sudden right. file that under subconsciously, you file that under options because you see someone else who looks like you doing it. Yes. And it's, it's subconscious, you know? Yes, I that was beautiful because I, I always tell people like you don't have to have a big arrow saying like, look, here's a black person working on this thing. It's like them alone, they're a statement on their own without you adding any words to that. But talking about like finding spaces where you do feel um, protected, is there any spaces that you can think of uh, formal or informal where you do feel empowered, where you do feel heard or just places that you go to when you're feeling frustrated on certain projects? Yeah, I mean, I have my own network of friends. I have uh, my fellow artist collaborators, um, support group, <laughs> you know, that I go to for those sorts of things. And that for me is pretty much it. I mean, one of the reasons that I did genuinely love both directing and acting, I did genuinely love directing more. But what pushed me to say, put this acting aside and focus on directing is the lack of representation for us. Um, it's walking mm -hmm. into those audition rooms, auditioning for this like black play, for this black role and being told how to be more black by someone who is not. Um, it is the conversations that are had behind that table. Like when I was a reader for auditions as an actor, or you know when I first started directing here and there, just hearing the conversations in the room by either the director or the playwright or the casting, you know, it's just like, there's so little power. And sometimes there's a lack of respect for the people coming into audition. And that's tenfold when you are, when you feel like you're coming into audition and you're a person of color, um, especially if you're auditioning for something that says like general, any race, right? We automatically feel like, well, when they said any race, I don't think they meant me. I think they mean mm. someone lighter than me who maybe like could present from a distance or blend in with a white cast, right? Like we automatically feel like we're disrupting right. the system um, mm -hmm. with our skin color. And whenever they try to do the open ethnicity, you know, there's so many cast pictures where they call it a diverse cast, but everyone is the same tan shade. <laughs> um, different mm -hmm. ethnicities, but they're all the same yeah. sort of like tan shade. Period. And so um, one of the reasons that I, I try to create those spaces by being a director and being in those rooms to like shut it down when it starts to happen around me. Um, so yeah, and, and when I feel, there are moments when I feel discouraged and it's just me and a glass of wine. <laughs> but, um, but usually, you know, I go to my friends and, and we talk it out and we're all going through something similar and and then I go back and I hit the ground running and I feel empowered as a director, period. You know, um, mm. I feel like I can make a change. I feel like I can make good work and create spaces and uh, for other people. And that makes me feel good. Like that empowers me. So, yes. Mm. Wow. 
I'm really just like sitting and absorbing. Elena, <laughs> what do you think? This is like, and our listeners, we'd love for our listeners to send us notes. You know, do you have any experiences or thoughts on this? Is this the first time you're hearing about what it may be like to be a Black director, a director of color? Is this inspiring you to dip your toes into the water and try something that you didn't think there was space for you to do before let us know drop us drop us some so, little love letters to hello at fourthwallpod.com and we will love to read them we're so excited about that um so so now tiffany what change do you think you would need to see from the we're hearing a lot about you can go to your friends if you feel comfortable but what change would you like to see in the theater community and the industry as a whole to feel more supported as a, a diverse director yeah, um, I think that we need to change our expectations of people of color. I think that a lot of times um, privilege only leads to more privilege. So when mm. you get to a certain place in the industry and you are looking at resumes um, and this black person or this person of color, indigenous person is applying for this position, you have to go in knowing that their resume may not have as many credits on it or their credits may not be as high because they have struggled so hard just to get the credits they have on that resume. Mm. And so right. it's like every step you climb, it's like tenfold. Um, so I, I think that we need to either recognize that as we hire and don't look at that as not hiring the best. You need to do a, you need to interview. You need to have a strong interviewing process that will allow you to get to know what this person is capable of outside of what you're looking at on this piece of paper. And that takes time. And that's, that needs to be a requirement. Take the time. Um, mm. And mm. also, I think that at a more beginning level, um, there just needs to be more outreach and more exposure um, for, for people of color um, in, in terms of like what, is, what jobs are available in the theater outside of acting. Um, right. There's just so little exposure. And so, um, you know, I, I think that theaters should more regularly hire Black directors to direct good plays, not just Black plays, not just in February, right? But like, yes. we, we actually, real talk, spend our whole lives, it's a matter of survival. We spend our whole lives getting to know um, the, the, majority population of America really, really well. So we are capable of directing white people. We are capable of directing a story about a white family um, because it is literally the story of our lives as well. It's survival for us to be right. familiar with both sides, with all sides that we come into contact and that we work with. Whereas the equal, the equal opposite is not true. Um, in terms of what is necessary for uh, for someone who's not a person of color, uh, it's not a mandatory survival requirement, right? To like get to know the other side. Um, and so, yeah, I think hiring more people of color who do good work to direct good plays, period, um, is huge. And um, I mean, the, everything is everything is relative, right? So so much progress actually has been made compared to 30 years ago or whatever, right? But we're still mm. not there. Better is not, we're not done. So um, mm -hmm. I think we have to stop 
spend a little less time patting ourselves on the back. Like we're still in the pursuit mm -hmm. of equality and we haven't gotten there yet. Um, and so we need to start looking at the ways right. in which we are stalling and like get off our butts and, and make those changes. Um, but yeah, I think that like the places that theaters look when they are hiring for executive positions or the places they look when they're hired, when they are casting even, the places they look for directors. A lot of people say, well, we're looking for a diverse group or we're we were looking for a person of color. And it's like, oh, where did you look? Well, we go through this agency. Check the agency. Where's the agency looking? Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't get enough, we didn't get enough uh, candidates of color. Where did you look, right? So you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to like right. cross the railroad tracks and go look on the other side of town and see, you know, who's got the potential because for people of color, a lot of times it's not about potential, it's about what you've already accomplished, and that is not fair, because non-people of color are hired on potential all the right. time. And I'm not saying that any statement I'm making is 100% true, but it's, it's the percentage is higher than we'd like it to be, is all I'm saying. It's higher than we'd like to admit, and it's happening yeah. in places that, in the most liberal of places, it's happening. That. I just saw something it was basically like in the arts like a white person can rise and succeed in all their dreams without ever having to uh, go through a person of color to reach any of their goals but that the same cannot be said um, for POC performers like like there's no way for us to ex transcend or to rise without having to interact or work for or work with um white artists um and i think that's super important because they don't a lot of the chance like they don't necessarily feel the need to look out for black people because there's no reason that they need them to succeed in life um this is great hearing you talk about this specifically as someone who enjoys acting and directing and is still deciding where her mfa is going to be <laughs> what concentration that's going to be but question for any uh aspiring directors or not even just directors but like artistic directors, stage managers, anyone who's not necessarily in the performance side of the arts that feel very lost or feel really dejected, what um, advice would you have for like maybe younger ones who are still like who are looking into how to dive into this or even current um, artists in those field on how to um, continue to assert themselves and continue to uh, push forward? Yeah, uh, one thing that's easier said than done is to let them tell you no. Don't ever tell yourself no. Don't count yourself out when you read that job description and say, well, I don't have what they're looking for, or they said you have to have this and I don't have it. Get creative, yeah. Um, I, a friend of mine reached out to me who really wanted this directing job and she'd never directed before, but it was something she really wanted at a small, you know, it was like a small um, festival, I think it was. And she was like, I don't have directing experience, but I really wanna do this and I'm super nervous. And I said, you're an actor. How many shows have you been in? How many directors have you observed? You have directing experience. You have If you have been in a room observing directors, then that's educational if you were paying attention. And if you are interested in directing, then I'm hoping that at some point you were watching the ways in which those people worked. Or at least you have the memory to go back and analyze what was good about that performance? What did the director do to enhance that performance? How can I apply, apply that to my work, right? So that's getting creative. While she didn't have an act of directing right. resume, she's had the privilege right. of being in the room with many directors and, and what can you draw from that? And how can that help you get your first directing credit? And I was like, you know, directors don't get to be in the room with directors, only actors do. So you actually mm -hmm. have that edge and you can spin that in the way 
in a way that's beneficial to you. So one, I say get creative. Two, I say do not tell yourself no, let them tell you no. Put yourself in their faces, you know, and let them have to say, I don't want you, right? Like let, let them live with that. Put, the, put that pressure on them. Right. Um, and then you will know that you've done all you can. Uh, you will have to remind yourself that it is not anything personal against you unless it is. If it is, take that, right? Like that's a learning experience too. Is it that you genuinely didn't have the experience and they went with someone with more experience and is it because you haven't had the same opportunities or is it because you were slacking, right? Like if you're slacking, own that. Um, but either way, just the interview process alone, this is something I was telling, something I was telling someone recently, um, someone was looking for a musician and they were saying, well, you know, it's hard to find black people who do X. I said, well, I don't think that's true. And they were like, no, they're like great musicians, but like, there's a certain something I'm looking for. And I said, well, have you brought in someone that you already know doesn't have that certain something, but they are great musicians and put them through the audition process so that they can learn firsthand what it is they're missing? Or are you just leaving them in ignorance thinking that they have a shot at something that they'll never have a mm. shot at because you're looking for the one thing, but you haven't even told them to go out and learn that thing, you know? So, um, you know, it, it's, I'm always a, uh, an advocate for bringing people into the room for interviews that are not quite ready because that interview process alone teaches them something, you know, I think it's great mm. to, I love to audition someone who I don't think is ready for the role, but bring them in, give them an audition experience, give them some feedback and say, I would love to see you in six months after you work on X, Y, and Z, because that's a learning experience that they're right. not getting because everyone assumes they can't do it. And so, yeah, I, I say, put yourself in those positions to say, hey, I'm applying for this, not even to get the job, or I'm auditioning for this, not even to get it. I'm actually using you and your time to get myself some education <laughs> and some exposure. Yes. And then when I get better, right. you're going to remember seeing me a year ago, you know? And if they don't remember, you will right. remember them and you will feel more confident the second time around, you know? So I, yeah. I say it's, you, it's so hard to do, but you have to think of every um, interview, every audition as you using their time as much as they're using your time. Like walk in thinking, what can I get out of this? It also gets you out of your head and you stop trying to be perfect. You're actually like, I actually need you to do me a service while I'm in here for five minutes, you know? Um, yes. And it's, right. uh, I think it just helps you get out of your own way as well. But my biggest thing is like, you know, do your work, continue to learn and absorb and, um, and make them, make them do the work of telling you no. Ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Tiffany, we are not gonna, we're not going to hold you any longer because you are booked and blessed and busy. Okay. And so oh, um, before we head out, we want to thank you so much for just dropping these <laughs> gems on us today. So many nuggets. These are nuggets of wisdom uh -oh. and they're just like, well, good. Mm, I'm glad. I just want to take all of the nuggets and like put them in the oven at 350 <laughs> for 20 minutes and they'll come out all like delicious and crispy and hopefully dinosaur yes. shaped. And uh, I love it. <laughs> you know, just oh, oh my God, so insightful and beautiful. Can you can you tell us uh what projects you're working on lately, or if you have any organizations that you're really loving their mission and their message and their action right now? Yes, 
Um, I have a few things that I'm working on. I just did a Zoom reading of The Danger, uh, which is written by Stacey Rose. That just happened a few weeks ago. Um, there's a project called Theater for One that I will be working on soon. Uh, that's going to happen next mm -hmm. month. And uh, it's a really cool platform that they are actually building. Um, it's something they've been doing in person, but now they're building a platform to continue the work. And it's basically one actor and one audience member. It's a really interesting, cool experience. Um, yeah, I'm supposed to be directing Angels in America, but of course that's getting moved at Pittsburgh Playhouse. Yeah, I'm excited about Whoa. that, but um, yeah. it's, it was supposed to be this fall. It's being moved to the spring. Um, Nina Simone for women. I'll be directing that at Arizona theater company. Mm, All of these yeah. things are like maybe yes. in the spring, <laughs> um, maybe Hamilton will be back <laughs> yeah. in the spring as well, you know, so just, you know, all sorts of, um, <laughs> random, beautiful opportunities. I'm going to be directing my first show at home. I'm from Houston. So I'll be directing a, a new play at the alley theater next summer. Um, called High School Play, yes. a Nostalgia Fest, and um, yeah. written by <laughs> my classmate, my MFA classmate, also an actor turned playwright. So it's like, it's about who you know, yes. it's about who you're willing to like grow with. Yeah, like he's an actor turned playwright who still acts, I'm an yeah. actor turned director. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty much what I have going on. Ah, <laughs> we love that. Yes, and where can the people where can they find you where can they follow yeah. you when can they see what you're moving with i keep a website that i probably need to update but it's it's in pretty decent shape um, <laughs> my website is tiffanynicolegreen.com um all of the spelling is tricky it's tiffany with a y nicole n-i-c-h-o-l-e and green with an e at the end g-r-e-e-n-e -E -E. it's in my entire name dot com um, same name for Instagram, same name for Facebook. I just keep all three names for everything. So yeah, that's I, I just pulled up on a new tab, your website, and I love the tabs are called the root, the work, the fruit, the vine. Very vibey, Thank very you. inspirational immediately. So go check out her website, get her traffic up, read <laughs> about her, tell your friends, uh, read diverse works by diverse playwrights, yes. SC shows directed by diverse directors and all the rest. Yes. Yes, Tiffany, we're going to let you go. But thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. This was fun. You just listened to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like this podcast, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Why not? Also, follow us on Instagram at this is fourth wall. And if you have any questions, ideas for new episodes, thoughts, or you want to submit a letter that we can read aloud on the show, send us an email at hello at fourthwallpod.com. That's fourthwallpodpod.com. Hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye.